Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics via honest conversations. This week we're going to be looking at expectations, which is actually a really fascinating subject. We were meant to record this episode last week, but I had a technical error and that I had my microphone the wrong way around, which means I've been mulling the subject for some time and I'm really looking forward to getting into it. Anyway, a bit about my guest. Horna Bell is an award-winning journalist and author. She is the former executive editor and global lifestyle head of Huffington Post. She won Stylist Rising Star Award in 2019, Reds Magazine Big Book Award in 2019, and she's published three works of non-fiction and most recently her first work of fiction, which I was lucky enough to read an advanced copy of and absolutely love. I actually still think about the characters a bit. I feel like they're my mates so that's a compliment to your writing and that is called case of emergency and we'll be talking about it a bit today without further ado let's get cracking three fun the three fun questions to start how well possibly fun how are you really what star sign are you and what are your favorite crisps i am doing really good i went to an event last night excuse me i went to an event last night um which really filled my boots it was very very woman power so i feel like i'm absolutely buzzing this morning Oh, that's nice when that happens, isn't it? And it's sunny, and so, yeah, mm. when everything feels a bit vibey. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and sorry, your second question? Star sign and then favourite crisps. Star sign, I'm Sagittarius, and I'm a very quintessential Sagittarius. Um, and and favourite packet of crisps are what's it? Oh, strong, strong Thanks. choice. Thanks. Um, but I feel like, I mean, I don't even know you well enough, I only know you via the internet, which is like, the, I get the saggy, but I feel like you've got some earth signs in you somewhere. I feel like there's, <laughs> there's something quite grounding in you as well, but the saggy does make sense. The saggy does make sense. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think the grounding has been stuff I've had to manually staple into my character. Um, but there is always the part of me that just wants to be absolutely chaotic and just... Uh, cause havoc and have fun and hang out with mates really yeah, I know I know my are sister, you, yeah are you a party person deep down no no and this is the thing I'm not I, I think that um well now that I've learned properly what the uh, definition of an introvert is um which is basically how you refuel and mm. you know um you you refill your energy banks I am really not a party person, though. But if I am, for example, as I was last night, surrounded by a people who are really friendly and will introduce themselves, but also um, people I just know, you know, if I go to a party and there's a lot of people that I know, then yeah, I, I'm absolutely, you know, in in my element. It's more that really painful, and I know you know what this is like, Clemmy. That sort of like weird, awkward dance that you do when you go to networking events or work mm. events, where you're not really sure, and everyone's kind of putting on and act if I can actually just be myself and make jokes and mess around yeah I'm in my element yeah I mean I I find that absolutely excruciating as well (laughs) excruciating and I think also if you go to anywhere where somebody might have a perceived idea of you having not actually met you that is also a a doubly weird dance to because yeah they've got an idea of who they think you (laughs) are and I mean, not that I present as a different person, but of course, the person I am in real life is 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 different. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, I just always wonder how many true extroverts there are, because it's it's pretty hard going. But 
and there must be some I think yeah I think that they are actually um like, like polyamorous relationships I think that they are actually less common yeah. um and rarer than than we think that they are because I can only think of really one person in my in my not even just my circle of friends just even acquaintances who I would say is a is a true extrovert yeah it's, and and I mean I, I always end up here. But if you were to take um, alcohol out of it, you know, it's very easy to think of extroverts after a few beers. But uh, you know, people stone cold sober, yeah, very few. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can think of like at university, yeah. the majority, the majority of us were were caning it because we just felt really socially awkward. Mm. And you know, yeah, okay, sure, there there could be an aspect of fun to it and so on. But I think a lot of us were were relying on that as mm. a crutch to just you know, because otherwise, how do you really just throw yourself in and introduce yourself to people that you've never met before? You know, it's a, it's a really it's a really great skill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a really great school and I don't know I don't know if you can even learn it I think I think you either I mean you can be taught to to do that that initial bit of conversation but some people just mm. are that but then I always wonder some of my true extrovert friends are therefore not particularly tuned into what other people what's going on for other people and if I guess if you so sometimes that might come hand in hand with lack of self-awareness yeah and I think also um you know people for example who can throw themselves into those kind of scenarios like very genuinely you know not pretending as if they are mm-hmm. I think almost aren't embarrassed or don't care whether other people find them embarrassing and mm-hmm. and that also I think is connected to some stuff that might not be so great because if you don't care what other people think then that obviously flips over into the side of you know you could sometimes be quite unkind or just not really willing to take on new ideas because you believe that your opinion or your idea is the best and is the only one so I don't know maybe um swings and roundabouts I think in terms of nuance of character yeah, I know. And as you say, the older you get, the more you know. I yeah, I can definitely be extrovert in the right environment, but I I know that I can't do that for a sustained amount of time without fueling myself up. Because yeah, and I need a lot yeah. of time on my own. But I I feel really proud of that. I think once upon a time I would never have understood that I needed time on my own. It's a gift. Yeah, I mean, I would say that. Um... I don't have children, but the people in my life who do. It is really wonderful to see, I think, that reclamation of time alone in a way that I just didn't really ever see with my parents' generation. And I would venture to say, you know, even something like five, ten years ago. And that is a real joy because I can see the impact that it has, particularly on mothers. You know, I can see the the really positive impact that it has on them just in terms of, I think, how how they feel about themselves as people. But mm-hmm. I fully appreciate that that journey to get there is a moonwalk. And it's really, really hard to not feel guilty and all of those other emotions that come around that. Yeah, you're so right. It's a real shift. I would, I just don't actually remember my mum particularly taking a, I have no memory of her taking even, because often if we're doing a big chunk of time as a family, I will get up and go for a walk in the morning as, as kind of a standard because it's just the only way that I'm able to ground myself to be, and <laughs> to show up in a nice way. But yeah, it's so true. That is a, is a real shift. And uh, you know, with yeah, you want our kids to learn to that that taking time for yourself is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Because also, a lot of the learned behaviors, like when I think of 
people pleasing, you know, um, which is which I used to suffer from massively. And I think I've just done a lot of hard work mm. in terms of trying to extricate myself from that. Um, I definitely think a lot of people pleasing comes from just seeing, um, you know, whether it's my mother or other female relatives, just being there for other people all the time. Mm. And, you know, a really small thing, like if you've invited people over for dinner and you could be really ill, let's say, you know, have the flu or whatever, and still feel that because you are obligated because you invited this person over and the worst thing would be to cancel, you know, still kind of pl- plowing on through it. And and I just think that sort of definitely those boundaries and definitely, you know, my mum can't, I love her and mum, please don't kill me for saying this if you listen to this, but she cannot sit still. Like, I, you know, I said this to her the other day, I said, you can't actually sit still in a chair mm. and just not think about the next thing that you have to do. Mm. Um, and she, she did dismiss the 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 statement but you know as mother as mothers are fully fully um you know um allowed to do but yeah so I I just think that sort of even just resting or not doing anything Mm. for me definitely has been a learned behavior that I've had Mm. to do in my adult life that I just didn't have you know growing up and definitely not in my 20s thought it was something that was really accept an acceptable thing to do no, my um my default voice in my head is that the rest equals laziness. And, yeah. and it's just not true. <laughs> yeah, all that concept that you have to be surrounded by people all the time. I definitely think when it comes to relationships, you know, there there's sort of a, a part of, of myself in my twenties that just felt if I was not with friends or not in a relationship, that that was not okay, you know, that that wasn't a perfectly normal thing to have. And so I definitely, you know, I know that this is obviously a much bigger topic, but I do wonder how much of the relationships that I gravitated towards in my 20s or the friendships that I had in my 20s, Um, which some of which were not particularly, you know, great for me, whether that was driven from this sense of just not knowing how to be by myself Mm -hmm. or or the understanding that being by yourself is completely valid. It's completely healthy thing to do and and is necessary. But, you know, um, yeah, something to think about, I think, for for me anyway. I think I saw on your Instagram that it just rung a bell that didn't you go out take yourself out for a really nice day out not that long ago (laughs) I went to Florence which is um uh, this is such a pretentious thing to say uh, but (laughs) I I love Florence I've been there several times and it is it is probably the only other city that I've been to that feels like a home even though I've never really lived there you know for an extended period of time And when I was there, yeah, I just thought, um, you know, obviously when you solo travel, you take yourself out for dinners and, and, but, but I I don't think it was ever as intentional as that before, Mm -hmm. but I just found, you know, this incredible restaurant. It is exactly the kind of restaurant that you would go to with a romantic partner or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, if you were holidaying with a group. And I just was like, actually, I really just want to go by myself. I want to dress up. I want to make an event of it. And it was amazing. It was, yeah, I've never really done anything like that before. Um, but that that intentional kind of self-dating was just wonderful. I was like was on it? cloud nine afterwards, yeah. And what did you do at the table? Did you read a book? Did you just sit and look at people? Did you go on your phone? I did a mixture of things. I, I tried not to go on my phone too much yeah. because I, I feel that you know, WhatsApp, which is sometimes the best and the worst thing about modern technology Mm -hmm. is that 
I've found in the past that if I use my phone too much, I just get dragged into, you know, WhatsApp group conversations or I just go on Instagram a lot and so on. And I just didn't really want to do that. So I definitely took a book. I took a kid, my Kindle mm. and I also people watched as well. But I also was so much friendlier, I think, to my waiter and just everyone around me than I perhaps would have been because I just wasn't feeling self-conscious about the whole thing and that was also a wonderful development and that lack of self-consciousness um I think is is a muscle and I think that that's something that you develop over time because I remember when I first started doing stuff like this Mm -hmm. just you know people sort of um ask oh well how do you do it blah 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 and I just said well I think it's the understanding that what you need to work on is your self-consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's not actually always the the act of doing something alone. You mm-hmm. know, that's kind of not the battle. The battle is can you relinquish um, how you feel alone in a in a room full of crowded mm-hmm. people? And then, you know, you notice the couple that's not really talking to each other. Yeah. And then you notice the group that there, there are sort of nuances in how they interact. And you realise that, yeah, you know, there are other people with their partners or with their friends, but they're not necessarily... Um, you know, everyone's just sort of interacting in their own way. And it's not necessarily a bad or a good thing. And and I think that that definitely removes that self-consciousness out of the equation. I think you're right, because actually, if I ever saw someone eating in a restaurant alone, I would only just think, oh, good on them or how lovely. I, I, there would never be any pity laced in that, because I think, well, you're just having a very peaceful time. Um, yeah, but it's funny, isn't it? I can see why it initially might be awkward and I guess it could be down to how the waiter treats you and how res- how you see that happening in restaurants are but um I think it's brilliant <laughs> it just should but it shouldn't be yeah it's, it's wild that it feels like a brave thing to do I don't think I've ever I've had like lunch on my own I guess kind of quick lunches and quick breakfast but never a nice meal maybe I'll try and do it just go wherever you want can't you <laughs> yeah I I mean I definitely think that you know I've been not encouraged, but I felt more confident to do that because I've seen other women that I follow on Instagram mm. doing it. And um, and that has been a, a really liberating thing in terms of just actually just seeing it because I don't really know in my immediate circle of friends, I don't really know anyone that would do that. So social media for all of its, you know, things that it kind of gets slagged off for, mm-hmm. I do think it just introduces you to a much wider variety of how to live and things that you might want to do yeah and it's just actually just the idea of it is because it's not that I've actively not done it I've just never really considered it and then you're like mm, yeah it's quite an interesting experience to, to sit through isn't it and I haven't really done any a huge amount of solo traveling which I do I do regret because I think it's something that yeah it's I can imagine it's extremely uncomfortable but it is it's good to be forced to push things in and as you say you just you just get better at it don't you you get better at talking to anyone I think that once you realize the so every everyone is different and everyone will have you know certain places that they know that they want to go to as a solo traveler and certain places that they they might not want to and I and I definitely know for me something like a busy city is not is not always my favorite place to go because I always feel like I'm missing out on certain things. Like let's Mm -hmm. say going out at night, you know, to a bar or whatever, which is just not something I really do as a solo traveler Mm -hmm. for no other reason than I just, just don't really enjoy it. I would much Mm -hmm. enjoy that with someone else. 
But I would say that once you realize that you can basically do whatever you want and you don't have to get up by a particular time or you can get up really early and you don't have to be responsible for getting someone else up or you can just decide that you're going to have room service and that's okay. (laughs) It actually then sometimes makes holidaying with people harder because you then realize, oh, crap. (laughs) Negotiation. Oh, crap. I've got to like work around their schedule. But, you know, but there's just an easing in, I think, of when you holiday with someone in the same way that there is with solo travel. But that that whole thing of just being able to do whatever you want when you want, trust me, that is a that is that makes up for any sort of pangs of loneliness that you might feel. And yeah. I don't tend I don't ever really tend to feel lonely when I solo travel because technology means that your entire, you know, contacts book is on your is is mm. instantly available to you. It's so it's it's wild that you can forget. Actually, for me, when my mental health dips out, ideally I'd get into nature. But if I can't get into nature very easily, I go to central London and I try and get in amongst the massive buildings and just kind of. And then you suddenly remember, like, I live in this amazing city, and I just sometimes forget that it's all available to me. It's just because you can be so head down, can't you? Just doing the next thing, doing the next thing. Just like go and see some stuff. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I took myself, so for anyone who who doesn't live in London, I, I live, you know, in the south of London, and I rarely venture to the east because it is a ball ache to get there. And I just don't want to. And so I only go there for like weddings or people's birthdays. But the other day, uh, sorry, the other week, I very intentionally got up early on a Saturday because there's a, a a club that I belong to and I really just wanted to use the gym and they've got a rooftop and the sun was out. And I just forced myself to do it because I've I've just literally I've been sitting on this for about two years in terms of doing it. And finally, I decided to do it and it set me up for the day. It was the most amazing thing. And I just thought, yeah, I don't, I understand why I was so hesitant, but it, I was gutted that it had taken me that long. Yeah. And it's so good for the mind isn't it? <coughs> just to go somewhere else, see different things. And like, ah, have you inspired me? I'm going to do a bit more of that. But none of this is about the topic that I was intending to talk to you about, which is expectations, although I'm sure it weaves in a little bit. Um, As a kind of starter, would you say that you have high expectations? Have you always, if so, have you always had it? Is it something that you have to work on? I think that my expectations have changed a lot over the years. And the reason why I say that is because I think that when I was younger, I think a lot of the expectations that I had for myself I don't think came necessarily directly from me I think Mm -hmm. that they were as they are for a lot of people I think that they were shaped a lot by you know societal conditioning and pressure um and you know just even things that we consume like like tv and film and so on and you know uh, expectations that your parents have of you and so on I think that nowadays and definitely in the last few years that has changed. I mean, I would love to say that I'm free from societal expectations, but I live in society. So I don't really think that's a realistic prospect. But I definitely know that the expectations that I currently have of myself are mostly from myself and Mm. are based on the things that I know I want and will make me happy. And I'm talking about every aspect of life from my career to dating to, you know, even the kind of older woman that I want to be. Um, and I would say that, you know, I'm, I'm very aware that when, you know, I talk about things like this, it sort of sounds, 
oversimplistic like oh you know yeah I can do that too that's really easy but it is the result of a lot of hard work it is Mm. the result of making a ton of mistakes um and oh Oh my god I'm so sorry Clemmy what could you hear that that was a someone trying to call me oh no you couldn't hear it apologies um so yeah so I think that yeah that was the result of a lot of hard work and I think that um you know, the, the the end result is that I, whatever expectations I have of my life now will be will change in about five or ten years. Mm. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because when I think of expectation, I kind of was raised to be ambitious and to yeah to aim for quite high things all the time. And and you know, there were inherited ideas, and in some ways, they're useful because they've given me a lot of motiv- motivation to to you know shape particularly the career that I've got but yeah it that, there's a very important thing about checking in about whose expectations mm. they are because you sometimes just can't you don't even realize that, that that they're inherited or that they're societal or they're inherited from Instagram maybe I think the first thing that pops into my head is around parenting but like this, this expectation of what parenting should look like and what kids parties should look like and it's these these are all imagined things aren't they that so like trying to remember but what you want somewhere amongst it yeah I I definitely think so I mean I've made a um when I say decision it's not a final decision it's just mm-hmm. kind of currently where I am but um you know for example I would say around around love life I mean you you know this um, you know my sort of like story around this but um, you know m- my husband Rob died in 2015 and I think that that was a real um, defining point of between you know having spent most of my life working towards <clears throat> meeting someone and getting married and then getting married and then that relationship just being wonderful but also so difficult Mm -hmm. and then I think after he died just thinking okay so well what happens now you know what what do those expectations now look like for me Mm. because he died when I was 34 there is just no real template for what happens when you are widowed at that age the Mm. you know there just isn't and um you know for example I think it was people sort of asked me to like read certain books or whatever, but they were all by people who were, who had lost their partners much older than me. Mm-hmm. And that has been a real journey in terms of the expectations, because really the expectations don't really apply to you. Because what's, you know, how deeply inappropriate would it be for someone to say in the, um, you know, in the immediate aftermath that I should get remarried. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think after, you know, sort of a few years pass, um, I have been thinking, hang on, not not around getting remarried, but just like, okay, so what does that part of my life look like? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, obviously this is against the backdrop of the pandemic. So all of us have some horrendous catharsis that has come out from that period. But I think that I just realized that because um, I wasn't I, around that time, I wasn't really you know, enjoying dating, I would say leading up to the pandemic, I think mm-hmm. I felt that I should be meeting people and it should be it should be leading to something serious. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I, I didn't know what I wanted and I didn't feel like I wanted that and so on. And I think like during the pandemic, I just had this really clarifying moment where I just, I know that this sounds so um, 
this is this might irritate a few people but I just realized I didn't want any of that I don't want to get remarried I don't want to date because it, it might turn into something serious it doesn't mean that the door is closed on it mm. at all and in the same way that I'm so open to like all and any types of connections but I think a big part of that was realizing that uh, have you heard of that term the relationship escalator Okay, so the relationship escalator is basically what tends to happen, super heteronormative, tends to happen in a lot of heterosexual relationships where you are working towards meeting someone, you then meet that person, you then move in with them, you get married, you have kids, blah, blah, blah. There's always like, there's a sort of like escalator of goals, Mm -hmm. right? And I was like, oh my God, I do not want to be on the escalator. I mm-hmm. want to be on a flat treadmill, like the kind you get in an airport where mm-hmm. I'm just going past and I'm meeting cool people mm-hmm. and I'm dating them. And it doesn't have to be this massively heavy weight that is attached mm-hmm. to every single interaction. And it mm-hmm. then became, sounds slightly messed up, less personal in terms of um having to attach this importance to every single date that I went on. But then the flip side to that was it also allowed me to be a lot more open and a lot more myself Mm. in those scenarios. And I think the reason why I didn't enjoy dating was because it just felt so twisted to me in terms of not knowing what I wanted out of it. Mm. And I think when I then made that decision, I've had the best time with dating. Um, I don't know how to explain it in any other way other than because I, I know that there are there are women especially and friends my age who really want to meet someone who have mm-hmm. never been married or want to get married or want to get remarried. And I just now know that that is not for me and that's not going to make me happy. And the relinquishing of that has been one of the best and most significant things that has happened to me in the last 12 months, I would say. Because it is, it is like a complete sidestep, as you say, from the overall expectation. But also it means that you go into those dates with no expectation, you know. You, you're just going to go and meet another human. And, mm. and and if you have a nice hour together, that's great. If you don't, that's great. But, I mean, actually standing on the outside, the idea that you meet another human, an absolute stranger, and somewhere in your head you're thinking, could I fall in love with you? I mean, it, it, of course it's bonkers. <laughs> isn't it? It's bonkers. And also, I just think that when you, um, when you know what you want, Mm. um, it's, it's much easier to communicate that and ask that of the other person. So I think that a lot of what made dating feel quite painful is doing this, you know, awkward interaction of you don't want to maybe be so open about what you want because you're worried it might scare the other person off or um you know you find yourself getting drawn into certain scenarios um or or giving that person attention in a way that you're just not able to do or just not comfortable doing and I feel that sort of having a kind of um a, a guiding point around that allows me to be able to do that and and Mm. to be honest in my communication and if it is not for the other person if they're just not where I'm at or they we just don't agree or we're not on the same page it's okay to let that person go that's Mm. you know but I I feel like the relinquishing of the relationship escalator the relinquishing of the this has to end happily 
means that I can be a lot more relaxed about my my interactions with people and to understand that sometimes people come into your life for wonderful short periods and that's mm. okay and there are other people who will stay and stick around a bit longer but also that you're not responsible for carrying the success of that relationship or that interaction the other person has 50% of that responsibility and I think definitely you know if you if you date men um I don't know that they've been made to 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 carry that quite frankly and and I think that they should and if there is any man that I'm dating that doesn't feel like they should they are not going to be someone that I date and that's okay because actually that is really interesting that was a question I had written down about um having <clears throat> high when it's appropriate to have high expectations of other people because I I know with all everything in this vein I am I can be a bit of a fantasist and I can have a I yeah I can play out imagine scenarios of events of people and then can find myself being disappointed but I wonder now whether actually it's okay to have high expectations of your relationships provided you know that you and I'm talking about friendships family everything that that, that expecting yeah to have strong relationships and otherwise not bother maybe yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I would classify it as high expectations. I would just say that it's it's an equilibrium. It is the expectation of if you are someone who conducts yourself with honesty, if you are, you know, um, direct. And, and by the way, when I say honesty, I don't mean just in your interactions with other people. I also talk about being honest with yourself, wow, which yeah. is which is hard, right? Mm -hmm. So I would just say, if you conduct yourself with honesty, if you are respectful, if you treat other people with respect, I don't think it's a high expectation to want that back from other people. Mm -hmm. So I actually have that on my dating profile in terms of like, regardless of whatever the nature of interaction. So for example, you know, people assume that if something is, is casual or rather initially casual that respect isn't a part of that and I just said well why not I mean would you not be respectful to a cashier or someone who let's say is waiting on you in a restaurant you would be mm -hmm. polite to them so so why why when it comes to for example romantic interactions why would you not have that expectation and I've, I feel very often you know we we sort of tuck our expectations underneath ourselves because we think we're asking for too much but really mm. all you're asking is for what you're putting out there in the world I think that yes that can absolutely tip over into um so this is someone I used to be and I definitely do not think I'm like this anymore but where if you're a people pleaser you will do you will go above and beyond the call of duty like you will do things for people yes because you might be a a good person or a nice mm. person but you you know if you're being truthful with yourself you are doing it because you want that reciprocity and you want that reciprocity to mean that that person likes you, you feel validated by them and so on. Mm. <clears throat> and I don't think that that's an honest exchange. I don't think that's a realistic expectation to have personally. Mm. I don't know what you think of that. Yeah, I, I, I think you're really hitting on a truth there. <laughs> what I'm then circling back to is for me, if I begin to have resentful thoughts in my head about any of my relationships because I, I feel like I'm doing too much, I'm giving too much or they're not giving enough back, I then am beginning to try and work on the fact if, if, of whether I need to take ownership on that. You know, if I'm putting too much in, 
and if I am putting too much in, why am I doing it? Because you have to be, when I've been done something kind for someone recently, I have to really check in with myself that I am genuinely being kind with no perceived outcome from it. You know, I, I'm just, I'm just doing it because I want to do it. And you have to, it's really hard to be honest with yourself about those things. Yeah, I think so. I mean, some, something just popped into my head when you were speaking, which is, um, for example, birthday parties, right? Like, I know that there are a lot of people that will go nuts for like their friends' birthday parties, will do so much mm-hmm. and or, or their partner's birthday parties, will organize so much, will put so much effort. And I'm not saying that they're not doing that because they don't want to, but for some people, there is an element that when it comes to their birthday party, that that amount of effort uh, is going to put be put into celebrating their birthday. And mm. then when it doesn't happen, because other people think differently, they organize themselves differently, they show their love differently, different love languages and, and all that, they get really upset because they think, oh my God, but I put all of this effort. And my expectation was that someone was going to put the equivalent effort into my birthday. Mm-hmm. And and I find that fascinating. I find that interpretation of, um, of you know, um, actions and, and so on that your loved ones do and how you perceive that to be how much they love you. And, and I just don't think that that's that's the same it's not the same language at all like if someone you know absolutely don't get me wrong I'm not sort of issuing an amnesty for people that are inconsiderate and and we all know people who are inconsiderate or who are just thoughtless Mm -hmm. and so I'm not making excuses for them but what I'm just saying is the expectations that we have around the effort that we are willing to put out versus Mm -hmm. what we get in you're right that that needs to be an honest conversation that Mm -hmm. you have with yourself and and why you decided you know, to do that. And, mm. um, and I feel that asking yourself that can be really liberating, because it allows you to say no to stuff. Mm. And it allows you to also just, I think, manage um, your own emotions when they when they come up when something has happened that you're just really disappointed by. And now a quick break to talk to you about a new jewellery brand called Anna Luisa. As you may or may not know, I live in a gold hoop. I think I started wearing them at the end of school, which by my calculations is 20 years ago. 20, how can that be? And I haven't deviated much since. I've always got at least one set of gold hoops, often several. So imagine my delight when I was introduced to Ana Luisa. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A as a new place to stock up on jewellery. Is it a pleasing price point too? It's nice enough to feel lovely to wear and to know that it'll stay in good nick, but not so pricey that you're afraid to wear it. Items start at about 35 quid. If you're in the market for some new bits, I've been living in a style called Venus, which are a mid-sized hoop. Also look at the Suzanne Huggies. It's what I've currently got in my second and third piercings. And that's not all. I've got a cheeky discount code for you too. Using but why will get you 10% off and there's a link in the show notes to make it even easier. The website is analuisa.com, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A.com. I absolutely recommend them. It's beautiful, sustainable jewellery, and there are lots of gold hoops. It's definitely something I've been guilty of. And the problem is, if you're putting these ideas on what you think the effort someone should do what I now am beginning to learn is my yeah my love language my way of showing things is doing stuff where someone else's might just be showing up or it might be and you can be so hell-bent on trying to 
expect people to be like you want them to be you're actually missing what they're doing for you and because it, it, it looks different and yeah doing things because you're 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 hoping to be repaid is a road to nowhere yeah it, it really is I mean I used to do this in relationships where um you know I would hear of like things that my let's say my male friends would do for their partners right mm-hmm. and and um or, or just you know very overblown kind of like um th- things that they would have arranged at a hotel and you know um or, or just like how they celebrated their birthday parties or even how they proposed to their partners mm-hmm. and I would think oh you know um so Rob my late husband I was like oh Rob doesn't really do stuff like that or like when I was dating other people they don't really do stuff mm-hmm. like that the truth of the matter is that I would have hated it if because I'm not a massive fan of people either buying me stuff or doing you know massive displays of affection like that like it just it, it's not something that works for me at all so a I, I would have hated it but b you you're absolutely right in that there were ways in which he and other people have showed their love mm. which were were very true to who they were. So it was there in plain sight all that time. Mm -hmm. But it's mad. It is mad how, you know, you just look at other people's relationships or other people's careers and you think, oh, you know, if I had that thing, I would be really happy. When actually, I don't know that that's always the case. No, it's so true. You're you're really spot on so often I've been to Ben like, why haven't you organized this thing for me? And he's like, Clemmy, you hate surprises. You want to control it? I, was like, oh, I yeah. hate. I hate them so much. <laughs> like, so I want to know what I need to wear, when it's going to be, and then yeah. I can. Be, but, but yeah, I still have this like fantasy longing for a surprise because of what that supposedly shows. But it, yeah, you're right. And I think at the older I get, I'm getting better at asking for the. Which again, I really struggle with. Like, you have to understand that people aren't telepathic, and if you you want something or you need some help. They're really often willing to do that for you if you let them know that what what it is that you need. And it's taken me a long time to start to do that. Yeah. And I think this idea that people should just know, and if they don't know, then they don't know you or it indicates something about them not caring. I think that 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 is a personal insecurity issue. And that's not really something that another person can fix, nor should it fall to them to fix. Mm. Um, Because I I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that, you know, um, someone just knowing you, we're not telepathic. So someone just knowing exactly what you would want in any given moment is just not realistic. And actually, for me, the gold standard is A, to be someone that can communicate really well and tell someone what I need mm-hmm. and vice versa. Like the the, mm-hmm. the best thing, uh, the thing I value most, you know, if you speak to anyone who works with me, um, anyone who dates me, is that open and honest communication is is something that I kind of live and die by because mm-hmm. I just don't have the, the wherewithal mm-hmm. or the time to just waste my life sort of just wondering what the other person meant. I just kind of, you know, I'm not saying you have to have intense chats about something, but I just kind of want to know where, where things are at really. Yeah. But it's a learned behavior, isn't it? To, to begin to, to do that, I think, but yeah, the, the, the relationships I most value are the ones where that kind of dialogue, where there is no shady, shady ground anymore. Like if I, if I'm having to reread a text to try and work out what it is that they're implying or not implying or, or, then it's a, it's a real red flag, isn't it? It should it should 
relationships aren't always easy, but there should be an ease in communication, I suppose. I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, it's it's the fundamental basis of, of any relationship. And I also just think, you know, even if you have uh, a relationship, and by that I mean that in the broader sense of the mm. word, you know, um, even if things go wrong, which things absolutely will go wrong, or there's a misunderstanding because, you know, we're human. Um, it is about that willingness to just address it and talk about it and and to just sort of try and make that bright. And I think that, you know, very often um, I've been in situations where I haven't really felt it was okay to talk about something or rather I was just so afraid of what the other person's reaction was going to be that I just didn't really broach uh, the subject. Mm. But I think definitely the older I've gotten, the more I've realised that actually you can't control the outcome of, of any any interaction that you have with people you know you can't sort of puppeteer their mouths into saying words that you you need or want to hear whether that's you know something around forgiveness or uh clearing up a misunderstanding and I I I think the only thing that you can control in that situation is how you behave and what you say Mm -hmm. and so that sort of um that understanding for me has been um, life-changing really because very often even though I may want to react in a manner that's re- really cross or just because I'm upset or I'm hurt the fact is I need to think about how I will feel about myself at the end of that exchange and that has definitely stopped myself from possibly saying things I might regret <laughs> like a, like the true fire sign that you are whereas on the other I'll go but it's there's a it's a bit naff but there's kind of say something within 24 hours or don't say anything at all kind of thing and it, it's so true so often you just need to pick it apart a bit and and I think the older I get the more I realize that people don't really owe you anything that that's a yeah and I actually on the idea of expectation I've definitely also been guilty of like Christmas birthdays holidays thinking that they're going to be something and then going into disappointment. And then as I get older, what I've got better is understanding what makes those things good for me. You know, so putting in time on my own, being able to exercise and and therefore you're not just hoping for the best that things are going to work out and better at putting the things in place to get there, I think. Yeah, I guess there's a real art form to how you emotionally process and deal with things around your expectations when things just don't work out the way that you want them to. And mm. I think, for example, Christmas is such a, it's a such a classic one where it's taken a lot of trial and error, but I just know that for me, it is not going to be the most wonderful time of the year. So what I just kind of go into it Mm -hmm. it, with the expectation of is I just want to spend time with my family. I want to have some nice food and that that's all it needs to be. It doesn't need to be the best time of year because I don't think you can script moments like that. You can't, you can't script your greatest hits, you know, very Mm -hmm. often those things happen when I don't know you're on your, Uh, you're having a family dinner while on holiday and you're in some place that turned out to be spectacular and none of you have ever been there before Mm -hmm. and those are the things I'm far more likely to remember rather than Christmas and what do we give each other which I never remember what we give each other um and and it's just one of those things that I feel a lot more sane around letting that go Mm -hmm. but there are other members of my family who shall not be named 
who still want to have the best time uh, of in the world. And, and I see them go through that catharsis of when it isn't the best time in the world, you know, it's just the time and that's okay. Yeah, it, it almost never, as you say, it almost never can be scripted, can it? Anything with it, with high expectations, the reality, because real life is real life and it can, it can rarely live up to that. And it's funny exactly what you were saying about the, the great moments happen sometimes in the other bits. We've, I went to France last week and broke down on the way back which was a disaster but we then stayed in this really weird hotel and the hotel breakfast was pretty gross but my children remember that hotel breakfast like it was the best thing they've ever eaten I've taken (laughs) these kids to so many lovely restaurants but the fact that everything was kind of chocolate based and synthetic they're they're talking of it all the time and that's it isn't it it's like in the lowest moments some things can end up exceeding expectations yeah absolutely I mean also those memories are you know you you just they're so priceless because of the manner in which they happened and if someone had told you ahead of that happening by the way Clemmy so this is going to happen and your children are going to have like the best breakfast of, <laughs> of their lives you'd be like um no thank you I don't want the car to break down that's not that's not for me but you, it reminds me of a holiday that my parents and my sister and I went on when I think I must have been about eight years old and we were living um, in India at the time. So we spent about five years of my childhood there. And we went to Kashmir and this is before, you know, um, uh, the sort of the troubles there started, but we went to Kashmir for a holiday. And I think my mum was recommended a hotel by a relative and we turned up and it was this absolute cesspit. And there was only one room and one bed. And I remember the four of us um, just sort of like all like huddled, like, you know, sort of bears. Um, and but and I know that to my parents this must have been like oh my god there's this weird smell that's coming from downstairs we're in this terrible room in this terrible hotel but I love the fact that we were all there together you know and and just sort of like all cuddled together mm. um we did obviously we did find a different hotel and moved oh, out no. the next day but I will never forget that sort of that one moment of being in that place together well I'm wondering if you're talking whether there's something about um the idea of letting go of control you know that which is definitely an issue for me general <laughs> control but sometimes the great ha- moments happen when you stop trying to yeah control it I think it's like a great night out you know it's it's just I I think that when you try and do organized fun and oh. it, for example you know um I don't know like girls nights out or whatever it just makes my blood run cold because I've never really been on a night like that and thought it was a great night it's always been the nights that have ended up being very spontaneous and have ended up somewhere um that we didn't really think that we were going to go and I don't really know that it's possible personally speaking to have organized fun I think that you can have a fairly okay time but it's never really going to meet or match the times where it's just something that we didn't plan I think Mm. Mm, Um, but that out of control element I think is part of that Um, because I think when you expect things when you when you plan overly plan things of course you're going to have expectations about how that's going to go and there's a vision in your mind of what it's going to look like and so on and sometimes that can be great but sometimes I just find that it is good to mix that up with spontaneity yeah I mean again it's a very sad but yeah it's it's trying (laughs) to know what you like and know the things that make you happy but not not ladder so far that way that you don't allow for any of the other where sometimes you're like oh yeah this wasn't the thing that I really thought but I have enjoyed it on the idea of like exceeding your expectations I was 
scrolling through your Instagram and there was a post about um, going, I've got to talk about powerlifting at one point, going to the gym when you're on your period and just like, I'm going to hate this. I'm murderous. I'm not going to lift well. And then once in a while you're like, all oh, right, this turned out better than I thought. Where, what are moments when you've exceeded your own expectation? Um, with regards to just anything in life or when it comes to powerlifting? Either or both. Okay. Um, I think that the times when I've exceeded my expectations have been, um, definitely there are some examples that I could give from my career, perhaps. So for example, yes, I've got a fiction book coming out in July and I never really thought it would happen. It was just something that, um, you know, I, I wrote really bad uh, snippets of, of fiction in my 20s, which I think thankfully have just been, you know, lost to the ages and no one will ever read it ever again. But I think it was so bad. And I think I did send off bits of, you know, my fiction to publishers who, um, sorry, to agents who rightly so were like, um, this isn't quite what we're looking for. You know, the <laughs> ideas aren't really developed. Um, because I think I was trying to write a literary novel. I was trying mm. to write a novel that would make people think I was really clever. Basically, there's just no shying away from that. And I think that over the years, especially during my 30s, I mean, I appreciate that I have published nonfiction in my 30s. But I just thought that fiction was just not going to be this thing that would happen for me. And that I and I didn't really have a compelling idea um, that I wanted to write about. And then again, this like pressure cooker of the pandemic, I just realized from the type of books that I read during that time and the things that I really enjoyed, I just decided to write a book that I would enjoy reading. And and it didn't need to be this, you know, heavy Booker Prize uh, potential. Oh God, look how arrogant she is, Booker Prize potential. But, you know, it's just, it didn't need to be this literary book. Mm-hmm. And and that was okay. And actually what I wanted to write was modern women's fiction. I definitely wanted to write it from the um, point of view of being a South Asian woman. There are such um, massive problems with how we've been um, allowed to write about ourselves and depict ourselves in the past. And it's, mm. it's always so you know, the the oppressed woman. And I just wanted to write the story of this woman in her late 30s who, you know, is flawed and messes up and is figuring out things mm-hmm. and so on. And, and I did that. And that exceeded my expectations because, number one, I didn't know that a publisher would be interested in buying that as a book, you know. Um, and number two, I just didn't really think that, that the fiction thing was going to happen for me. So that is definitely, I think, one of the, the biggest things. I think other things to do with my career... I didn't plan on them happening or I didn't I didn't directly see them coming. So when they did happen or, you know, especially if you look at things like awards and so on, I just didn't know that they were going to to happen for me. So so I could say they exceeded my expectations, but it wasn't an experience. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like what? what pompous gas bag like goes into work thinking oh this will win loads of awards they were just nice incidentals that happened Mm -hmm. as a consequence of the work that I was doing well it's it's the same thing about no preconceived ideas and I guess you and I are similar in that as your career takes a kind of space that we're both in now whatever that may be there is no roadmap for it therefore it can only hopefully exceed it you know because (laughs) 
you're not going up a corporate ladder in the, or anything anymore. Yeah. And also, you know, the I was thinking about this yesterday, you know, the avenues that you go down to get your success haven't been, for, for example, for me, the same that they have been for other people. The, mm. the power structures that exist are not... I I kind of thought of this the other day, uh, you know, I've, I've succeeded despite them, not because of them. So, so the, the journey that I have taken has been very windy. um, But I think the thing that sort of just kept me going has been the sense that there's something that I've wanted to work towards and achieve. And I've plodded along and I've, I've steadily put in the work and I've worked towards that. And Mm -hmm. I guess, um, you know, uh, there are lots of people that have helped me succeed and have helped me to get to where I am. But I also feel that sometimes, you know, there's no substitute for hard work and graft and just not giving up on things. Um, The thing that did pop into my head uh, that I definitely know has exceeded my expectations, given that we're talking about powerlifting, because I honestly did not see this coming, was that Stronger, which is my um, last nonfiction, won a Sunday Times Sportsbook Award. And that I, I'm still in shock about that because not just because I was like the world's least sportiest person and that the idea of winning something in sport is, is you know, hilarious to me. But also, Clemmy, if you had seen the demographic of people at this award, I am forever grateful that they gave me the award. Don't get me wrong. But it it is, <laughs> it was a, uh, it was a chance, a shot in hell that I won the award. Like, I don't think even my publisher expected me to win. Not because she didn't have faith in me. We just no. knew that it, it's a male dominated industry. And more yeah. than that, you know, I am a brown woman and we just don't win awards at places like this. And when it won the award, Oh my God, I, I, I don't know, very few things come close to, to what that feeling was like, um, you know. Oh, it's amazing. And it's so true, though, isn't it? Like you, jokes aside, you could be trying to write a literary book, a Booker Prize winning book, and then lo and behold, your book ends up in another equally brilliant place in mm. a different avenue. And you wrote the book, well, all your books, but particularly that one was written about your own journey and your own experience of, of strength. and, and it's so often the case if you do something that is sits closely with your values that's great and then if that happens to be awarded that's even more brilliant but it your your aim wasn't for that it it wasn't and it was very much about you know a lot of the women that i feature in the book um a lot of what the book is actually about is is a is charting this disconnection uh, that women have and girls have around physical fitness and uh, by consequence, you know, the things that it denies them, for example, mm-hmm. feeling strong, whether that's mentally or physically or or feeling powerful about themselves. And so I think for me, the fact that it, you know, I'm, I'm not a pro athlete and the fact that a book that told so many of those stories uh, that that one it sounds so cheesy, but it it made me feel like it was a win for all of us. It's not just, you know, a win for me. And more importantly, I just thought, you know what, because this is this isn't about, you know, having a monopoly on a particular area. I just hope that it it widens the door, nudges the door open for, mm. for more books like that, of which there absolutely should be more books like that, but which I think historically there just haven't been. And I know a big reason of why they haven't been is just because I think people just don't know if that's what, what women want to read about or will find mm. useful. And I felt very 
vindicated is the word that I was. I felt very vindicated that actually, no, like there are a lot of people who are interested in it just because men, particularly men of a certain age, aren't interested in it doesn't mean that it's not absolutely valid. And that felt that felt like a real overturning of that, I think. Yeah, and it's such an, I and mean, it feels like an entirely different conversation, but there's such a, I have that imposter syndrome. I, you know, I train five, six times a week. I legitimately am into fitness, but I still feel like an imposter when I post about fitness, even though it takes up a big portion of my life. It's the thing that makes me feel very happy and, and has transformed my life in loads of ways, but I still don't feel like I belong in that space. And it, it, that's mad, isn't it? Because it is, it is available to anyone in whatever way you want to move. And the idea that we don't belong in that club is, 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 is a real shame. I mean, it, it's, yes, but also the thing is, is that while you may have changed as a person, the infrastructure around you hasn't. So I, I understand why it's hard because every time you go into those spaces or you're posting on social media or whatever, um, you are having to assert your own identity and your own self-confidence. And sometimes mm. that can be frigging exhausting because, you know, on Instagram, let's face it. I mean, we talk about it. Yes, there's a bit more diversity, et cetera, et cetera, particularly of older women, but there still overwhelmingly isn't. You know, mm. we are still surrounded by um, particularly, I would say, um, you know, when you look at age, you're, the, the majority of people that we see on Instagram are in their 20s. I mean, less so on my feed because I don't necessarily, I curate my feed like that. But also, you know, when you go into training spaces and the, the signage that you have and posters and so on, just even the way that people talk about it, mm. I feel like a lot of us who do this kind of stuff, particularly lifting weights, we're ahead of the curve, we're ahead of our time. And while we surround ourselves with our communities, that community is not in the mainstream. And so yeah, I completely understand why that's difficult. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? And, and you know, you know, in yourself, I'm going up to that bar, I'm doing the thing. I'm and I, I again was looking at your post there are no quick wins in this particularly in this sport it's a it's a doing it over and over again incremental tiny incremental plates put on there until you're lifting more and it's like I know I'm doing this journey for real but I guess that is the power on, in it isn't it that is only ever you doing it you and people supporting you but it's such a singular action that yeah you do have to learn to own it for yourself yeah, I, th I think so. I mean, the thing is, is when I think about the type of person or how I felt when I first went into the weight section, however many years ago, and how I feel now, um, it's sometimes hard to remember that person. I mean, obviously, I do remember. But um, but it is about just practice over and over again, mm -hmm. you know, and and I definitely know that when I've had time off from training, when I haven't been surrounded by my community, I have to exert that muscle all over again, mm. you know, and, and definitely I think that when I go into commercial gyms in particular, it's, I can feel like my back getting straighter, you know, um, there's they're sort of almost like a, a things have to click into place, which I don't have to do when I go to my, my powerlifting gym, because I don't have to wear that armor in there because I'm surrounded by mates and I'm surrounded mm. by people that don't make me feel like I shouldn't be in there. But um, it's exhausting. But I think it does get easier the more you do it. And the good news about lifting weights is you have to train regularly. So yeah. it's a, uh, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it, it's I, all I want to do is talk about this, but I'm not going to because it's a whole different chat. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it is it is really life changing to be strong or to to be trying to get stronger. I think it's um, the one of the most useful things you can do. Yeah, I for me, it has helped my life in so many ways. Um, but I would say the one thing that has definitely changed, especially the more I do powerlifting. Mm is that I think friends and family understand and respect it more. So, I mean, I, I, I do drink and, but however, I go through periods of not drinking. Mm -hmm. And whereas before, if I would sort of say, well, I'm not drinking today, whatever, you know, you get the usual hassle. If I say I'm training tomorrow, they they instantly back off and they just leave me alone or they understand now why there are certain things that I can't do or why I might need to leave early. And I feel like in a way, um, sort of them acknowledging that has definitely made me feel a lot better about things. It makes me feel like they they take it seriously and they understand it. Um, and that's something that's only really happened in the last year, though. Yeah, but again, you have to keep showing up for yourself in that. And I'm, I'm now trying to mm. link it back to expectation because it's so funny when people <laughs> go, I can't, believe, I can't believe you can lift that. And yeah. I, I knew for well I can lift that because I've lifted every single increment <laughs> on the way up to that, you know. And yes, you sometimes get a day when it when it when you get bigger than you were you know you exceed your own expectation but more often than not the only way that you've got to that perceived great place is by doing all the bits on the way up to it over and over again yeah and and also I think you know if we're talking about expectations I don't think I ever expected that I would have this relationship with physical movement strength um or my body and it has been um one of the best things in my life and I feel that I don't know if expectation is the right word because I think that my goal now for when I get older and older is that I just want to be as healthy as possible as strong as possible and I want to do and pursue behaviors that allow me to be the best possible version of my older Mm. self Mm. that for sure is an expectation I have of you know for example um when I'm sort of like you know in 20 years time or whatever and I think that's a good expectation to have because it's not connected to things that it it, you know I used to have for example around my body which was always like oh need to be as slim as possible it's it's more like well okay am am I pursuing things that are going to give me good bone density if Mm. I fall ill am I going to be able to recover from it quicker and that I think is a good expectation to have because I think it allows me to just be a lot more kind and respectful towards my older self than I possibly would have been. Mm-hmm. And actually, I don't even think five, 10 years ago, I was even thinking of what my future would look like in about 10, 20 years, insofar as I'm thinking about how strong I am and, and how mm-hmm. healthy my body might be. Well, yeah, I mean, if that's your kind of life goal, it, that isn't attached to other people. It isn't attached to any idea of wealth or milestones. If, if, And I, I definitely share that. That is a real thing that's happened in my 40s. My one aim is to keep my body as well as it, my body and my mind, I connect the two, as well as they possibly can do and make decisions that... Um, that ladder up to that and and that that if that's your kind of guiding light on everything you're right it's what time you leave the party it's what what you work you pick up etc etc and and it is purely it might sound selfish but it's just about prioritizing yourself yeah I think so I think it's about there's this thing I always say which is you know um 
because someone was asking me about pensions recently and I was just thinking isn't it funny how (laughs) we give so much thought to our pensions and how much we're paying in and at no point do we think about what our future physical selves are going to be like and and what what are we doing to pay into that to make that future look bright and golden for us and that's definitely something that has shifted for me mentally Mm. over the last I would say few years Mm. I think that you're absolutely right it literally boils down to how can I how can I keep myself going for as long as I want to and keep myself doing the things that I love doing that make me happy? And so that is a different thing for so many different people. But for mm-hmm. me, for example, it's things like travel. It's things like being able to physically do things when I travel, like go on hikes, go on walks mm-hmm. and so on. And none of us can really control, you know, what happens down the line or ailments that we might have. But I just want to give myself the best fighting chance if something does go wrong. And um, and I also feel that those behaviours, you know, for example, the leaving the party early and just prioritising sleep and so on, um, help me massively cognitively now. I just think that, you know, when you think about things like your cognitive ability and so on when we get older, which is something that I'm, I'm really worried about, to be honest, because, you know, you look at the older people in your family and how they've been doing and so on. Um, that I just want to work towards being able to retain my cognitive abilities yeah. as as much as I as I can, and I don't know why I didn't really think that that was something that important. was really important. Yeah, <laughs> but you don't do. You're so caught up. You're so all the things I've been so caught up with. Yeah, trying to change my body, trying to please people, trying to and yeah, it just takes a lot of brain power. I'm losing you. She's she's on the move. <laughs> and I'm also aware of time. I've got always I end on two questions. Mm. Number one, where can people find you and what do you want to shout about? So people can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Pornabel. And I would like to shout about my fiction book, which is coming out on the 7th of July called In Case of Emergency. It is poignant, but it is really, really, really funny. It is set in London. There is a lot of 90s nostalgia but also what it's like growing up in the suburbs and the mind-crushing boredom that comes with that um and there's also a um there's a bit of you know your your the protagonist's first holiday um when she's in her teens which I think is again hugely nostalgic for for myself and other people and um I hope that you like it I'm very very proud of it yeah it's brilliant I I for listeners the premise is the protagonist has a major accident and wakes up and doesn't know who the person should be that she should call and it's it is full of like cultural references but there's some really big uh like reflection points in there and and insight particularly I think on this point in our lives that both of us are on and and it's it's light but it does make you ask some questions of yourself so yeah don't undersell it in terms of its gravitas in that sense thank you and and it's very I think (laughs) given the um given the theme of the podcast it it is basically about your your life expectations and Mm. so um uh Beryl who is the protagonist she sort of wakes up and and realizes that her emergency contact that's been called is a her gross ex-boyfriend and that really prompts a reckoning of um, her friendship groups, you know, her relationships with her family and really what she has prioritised and and whether that's actually something that she really wanted because a lot of us, I'd venture to say, 
have sometimes, especially around expectations, we're on autopilot with them and we don't interrogate them enough and change them up and so on. So this is very much about her unraveling that, um, her friendship groups as well, and then sort of rebuilding that for herself in a way that, um, that she's happy with, I think. I think she has to get really honest with herself. (laughs) She's so deluded at the beginning. So deluded. But she comes through, thank goodness. And my last one is, if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be and what would you say? Oh, God, Clemmy. Sorry, change the tone. (laughs) Okay, um, if I could have... I don't know if anyone said this before, but I think it would probably be myself... And I'm not saying that to avoid conflict. No. <laughs> I I think it would probably be with myself because, yes, I do have honest conversations with myself, but it, it's something that do, I do need to be reminded about. And I think the thing that I would probably say to myself is um, I think that you need to just take a moment and actually sit in what you've achieved and what you have set out to do because very often you're incredibly hard on yourself and you mm-hmm. self-deprecate a lot. And it's just tired and it's boring and I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> no, it's so true. And you're like, and the next, and the next, and the next, and the next. And, and yeah. And you're like, well, this is all happening. Really fantastic things. Yeah. That, that yeah, you need to sit and absorb a bit more. Mm, thanks, Clemmy. Well done. And um, thank you for a great conversation. We've really like wiggled through a few things, but it does all tie up, doesn't it? And it's, it, yeah, that being honest with yourself is, is the one that is the most challenging. I think it is because it's hugely confronting. Mm. It is hugely confronting, but also it's not just about being honest with yourself. You then have to action the things that come out of that conversation, which can be incredibly hard when you realise what those things need to be. Yeah, and also I think you can get stuck in your own thought patterns, which become so familiar that you don't even realise that it's a a particular thought. Mm. And you're like, oh, wow, there is actually a completely different way of looking at that. Yeah, and that shifts everything. So that's my big takeaway from this. But thank you so much for your time, second time around. It's been amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Ah, well, that was good. It's made me... um, a bit of a conversation with myself about being a, a a people pleaser and b whether I am one of those people that uh, I'm always hoping too much of others and being unfair on them in terms of presents and birthdays and actions yeah it's definitely given me a bit of a reality check who knows if there's truth in that or not uh, I love that conversation with the porn I love how many topics we managed to span but I think there's definitely a thread about yeah our expectation of others but also valuing ourselves enough to prioritize ourselves and to to uh seek out good opportunities i'm very inspired by the idea of going out for a nice dinner on my own gonna make that a bit of a life goal not even a life goal something to do quite soon and that's it that's another episode of but why done thank you so much for being here please do rate review subscribe get in touch on instagram let me know if you like it if you enjoyed it what you'd like to hear more of i am now off to put my house back together it's going on the market shortly and we've had new carpets fitted and everything is in boxes so we need to try and make it look pretty reasonable before people come around to look at it um i'll see you next week for another episode thank you so much bye bye